Hello everyone and welcome to the second episode of the second series of the I Like Boxing podcast with Joe and Joel. I'm Joseph Caulfield, joined as always by Joel Illier. How are you, Joel? I'm good, thanks, mate. How you doing, mate? I'm good, I'm good. I see you've been to Munich recently. Tell us uh, a bit about that. There's not that much to tell, to be honest, Joe. I went to Munich. Went there for I went month. I went to a pub. Yeah. I then went to another pub. Yeah. I went to a few more pubs. Yeah. And then I got the flight home. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Long it was, weekend. It was good fun, yeah. Yeah, good. long long weekend. It was a long weekend. It, it felt longer than it should have done. And you didn't get to see Bayern Munich after all. I was very the intention. I was very disappointed. Best laid plans sometimes, mate, you know, because yeah. things happen sometimes and Drink. things happen that <laughs> stops things happening sometimes. So it is what it is. Okay. Yeah. So it's... How was your weekend, Joe? Yeah, it was good. I have kids, so I can't really remember what happened this weekend. This most weekends just they blend into each other. Exactly. I see. Yeah, one went to enough. kickboxing. One went to ballet. <laughs> I think I went to my mum's for a little bit. Probably made me cheese on toast. Just an exciting life that I've got. It's just a thrill a minute. Joe, you're bringing up your <laughs> you're bringing up your children into a bit of sort of gender conformist roles, there, aren't you? Well, you got your boy going kickboxing and your girl ballet, or was it the other way around? I've tried to get her into kickboxing, doesn't like it. Not working. No, I don't think Keaton's into ballet. To be fair, fair. Oh, yeah. he doesn't seem like a ballet ballet boy. To be fair, does no, he? No, no, no. But um, having said that, Cara could definitely batter the proverbial shit out him and most people it's probably a good thing she doesn't go kickboxing actually <laughs> i really mean it you've taught her well she mate. she is tough good girl she can punch excellent i'll steer clear no one of the things i like to do to wind keaton up and this is actually true is when we're play fighting because we do that a lot and he likes to do that you know, yeah a bit of the wrestling whatever i tell him frequently that his blows don't hurt me as much as Kara's, <laughs> and it gets really bad. <laughs> it's going to have such a complex. I know. <laughs> it's probably going to result in just him doing terrible things to Kara. Uh, yeah, hopefully You're not. Set, now, setting to, him up for a fall, mate. Might have to change my uh, my approach here. <laughs> oh, no, jo- we, Joe's parenting handbook. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> Weekends uh, been good though. So um, good. yeah. It's been an amazing weekend of boxing in terms of obviously the the big fight. Yep. Canelo Bivol. And I think we might as well just kick off the pod with our little review because what a fight it was. I think that is the best place to start as well, just to acknowledge that it was a fantastic fight. Yeah. Just high level boxing throughout. Both fighters just a hundred percent committed there. I was so impressed. I mean, because I was away for the weekend as Joe mentioned there I didn't get to watch this one live which was really disappointing it was disappointing that my DAZN membership even though I thought it worked when I got there I sent you I think a celebratory text saying my DAZN account works over here you did when I actually then went to use it later it didn't work and it said that I needed a local membership so obviously my phone hadn't quite caught up to the fact that I wasn't in England yeah. and was allowing me to use it for about half an hour and then it kicked in. So it was really annoying. Yeah. So I didn't get to watch it, which did possibly, I thought it was going to mirror, uh, so it was going to spoil how much I enjoyed the fight, but I don't think it did. I loved it. It was just such a committed elite standard of boxing in that fight. I thought it was great. I thought both butt fighters acquitted themselves really well. Yeah. But obviously, this was a coming out party for Dimitri Bivol. Fantastic stuff. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to allude back to the preview we did in the previous week. Well, why would you want to do that, Joe? Well, because I think I got it pretty, pretty damn spot on. <laughs> for the second time in a couple second, of weeks, you have nailed it. I Your have. prediction pretty much perfect. I thought uh, that Bivol would cause Canelo a lot of problems and I actually, I, I did hedge my bets a bit. I didn't want to say who would win, but I did say the key to that fight would be how well Bivol takes Canelo's power and it was apparent very early on that he had no problems with Canelo's yeah. power and and because of that, the result was really academic. Bivol controlled the range, a great boxer, mm. And one thing that he did that did surprise me, though, um, a little bit was I thought he would really fight the entire fight on the back foot. And he didn't. He He started. He started, yeah. But he did. He was willing to take the centre of the ring on more than one occasion. And he was also willing, with a tight guard, to just take Canelo's power shots to the arms, the, the body. 
and it just didn't affect him. And I think that must have been really disconcerting for Canelo as well, because you know he, I imagine he would have thought that, like I did, Bivol would just go on the back foot retreat. But he mixed his game plan up a bit. Well, I think Bivol's ability to take. Canelo's power meant that Bivol wasn't overreacting to the feints, which is the undoing of most of Canelo's opponents. I mean, you look at what was happening with Billy Joe Saunders and loads before him. Yeah. They overreact. They're yeah. flinching almost when Canelo's flinching, you know. And Dimitri Bivol did not react to a single feint, I could tell, in yeah. that fight, or at least not overreact. Yeah. He didn't sort of jump back and all of this. And he, again, with the, with the powders getting away from the punches, Bivol just enacted a very simple game plan when the punches early doors were coming at him he just took a, a step back this is what Lennox Lewis used to do lots yeah. of the Emmanuel Stewart trained fighters would do these ones that use their range in a similar way to, to what Bivol was and just very simply take a step back out of range he stuck to that for the first few rounds and then he started putting it on and mixing it up with Canelo as you're saying and it, it, he just imposed himself onto Canelo as the fight wore on so Jog I mean given our preview of the fight and how we felt about it I mean was this result really a surprise I wouldn't say a surprise I would say it is a notable boxing upset but yes. I don't think any of us would be completely surprised by it because we all rated Bivol before the fight and Canelo was going to find his limit at some point at the higher weight and I think we all knew that as well yeah so I wouldn't I wouldn't really mark it as a surprise what about you did you think it was I was surprised by how dominant the performance was. Yeah, I'll go with that. And I was surprised that the judges gave him the victory, despite their best efforts. We had a discussion <laughs> about this. <laughs> this I, was shocking. Do you, do you know what I was surprised about with the judges? <laughs> I don't know if you know this. All judges obviously scored the fight 115-113 to, to Bivol. Yeah. All judges scored every single round identically. That's crazy. I've never heard of it before. I know. How strange is that? It's really weird. I mean, I've, I've got no explanation as to what could be going on there. Maybe it was just one of those really weird coincidences. But the strangest thing about that is that they've scored a bunch of rounds there that were clearly four Bivol. And they've they've scored, but they've scored them four Canelo and they've scored them all identically for Canelo on those rounds. I'm, it's baffling. And you know that all three judges scored the first four rounds for Canelo which I can't I just couldn't believe I mean don't get me wrong I think he maybe won one or two of those I rounds. had him winning one of the rounds yeah you know one or two at match yeah. but to give and that's why I think that was really surprising in, in when you consider the fact that he got the points decision then seeing the scores afterwards and seeing that Canelo was actually four rounds ahead on every single judge's scorecard I mean that really does go uh, to show what a convincing clinic Bivol put on they couldn't deny him yeah he closed it well rounds, you know. exactly it shows how much he dominated as the fight wore on that they could they just couldn't pull away from him where, where does Canelo go from here do you think should he exercise the rematch clause he said he would yeah I mean I've watched that fight and look I don't think that Canelo wins the rematch yeah. but I do think you know what my opinion is when it comes to this stuff with boxing it's about sport it's about sporting competition Right. If Arsenal think we're going to lose against Spurs, we don't just duck out of it and say, "Well, we're going to go for another. We're going to play somebody else." Yeah. All right. This is boxing. This is a sporting competition, and I think that's how Canelo sees it. He will want to go back and avenge his defeat, even though he's not a stupid man. He knows he's not. He's got a lower chart, a low chance of winning the rematch. But I think that he will see this as something he wants to do for the sport. Do you know what was really interesting? There was a brilliant comment from someone on Twitter saying. And I think Bivol might have mentioned it as well. He might have even suggested that he goes down to one six eight super middleweight because he can make the limit. He says, I mean, he's 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 light for light heavyweight, I think. Yeah. And beats Canelo in a unification <laughs> fight, just takes all his belts <laughs> both ways. Canelo's sort of like, where does Canelo go from there? Like he's lost the high light heavyweight. That would be mad. That would be mental. Has that ever happened in boxing history before? Oh, I, I mean, couldn't think of that sort of precedent but that's what so wh when we say where does Canelo go from here you ask me that question I would say as a, a direct answer I think where he goes from here is a rematch with Dimitri Bivol and then he moves down to 168 but the problem is is that the move down to 168 that comes with its own pitfalls we've seen what happens with fighters when they move up and then they go back down again it's yeah. not easy to do Canelo is muscle he's got to lose muscle to get back down there 
Could this, because we had a, had a brief conversation about this as well, I thought, I mean, Canelo looks ripped, he looks heavy, he looks chunky. Mm. Now, I think that does hinder you as a boxer. I mean, if you compare him to Bivol, Bivol just looks lean. Yeah. And he was really, he was able to flow with his combination. Canelo has, I think, as I mentioned this to you as well, I think Canelo's fallen in love with his power a little bit. He, he was just throwing one or two punches. I mean, very explosively, don't get me wrong, the guy mm. can bang 120%. He's also a great boxer. I have no question about doubts about that. I've, the guy can box. But I think perhaps the ascent up the, you know, through the weight, putting on that muscle, has that maybe affected his ability to, flow his punches so well you know of course you can. oh definitely I mean as you move up in weight everyone throws less punches you cannot you know continue with the stamina with the extra muscle and fat that you've got as you go up but it's relative to the weight class isn't it when you move up they're throwing less punches yeah do you see what I mean and so he's gone there he's gone up but sometimes uh, here's one right Todd Grisham I thought when they came out to the ring he posed a really good question he said as Canelo challenges bigger and tougher fighters you've got to believe that one day he faces someone too big and too good is tonight that night it was an unequivocal yes yes right and I think it's all summed up there it's not necessarily that Canelo there's something wrong with Canelo's style or what he's doing it's just that he's pushed it to its limit now yeah I think that's where we're at with him. Does he beat Usyk if he gets to fight him at heavyweight? <laughs> <laughs> Let oh, me guess your answer. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. My life told the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I want to touch on briefly, and Bivol certainly touched on it in his uh, post. I have to say, I thought Bivol was so incredibly charming after that fight. You um, told me that. I didn't listen to any of the post-fight interviews yeah. or anything, but you said that, and I'm really pleased that he was. Yeah, so a couple of things that really stood out. Um, when he, him and Canelo embraced each other after the scorecards were announced, um, Bivol looked at Canelo, pointed at his arm, which was obviously battered and bruised, and yeah. it looked like he, it was really badly bruised. And then he just waved his finger at yeah. Canelo as if to say no, and obviously the, the reference being that, look, you can't punch me in the arms. I'm not, yeah. I don't know, I guess I'm not not like Callum Smith or yeah. you know, one of your other fights. Who really I'm not like one of your smaller opponents. Exactly. Mm. And then the other thing that he did, which was really funny, was that he, he said on the microphone, I'm, I'm sorry, Eddie Hearn, I've scuppered your plans for with Triple G. Well, this goes, there was a really strange thing that happened in the promotion of this fight with Matchroom, because obviously Matchroom's promoting the fight. They promote both fighters. Yeah. But... Eddie Hearn is such a massive Canelo fan and obviously Canelo's making all the money for this fight. He's the he's the jewel in the crown of the matchroom stable. And so Eddie Hearn only dealt with apparently Canelo's team in the build-up. Dimitri Bivol didn't really have anything to do with Eddie Hearn, which is why after the fight you saw Frank Smith, who is Eddie Hearn's number two, or should I say he's the number two at matchroom, yeah. I think is the better description. He went up and was congratulating Bivol when they had a hug and they were because they developed the relationship before the fight because Frank Smith was Bivol and Bivol's team's matchroom contact for the fight. What a strange situation! Yeah, I mean the only one I've I thought about this thought well, the only other instance I can think of like this was the Frank Warren when he promoted the Joe Joyce uh, Daniel Dubois fight. That's it he sort of unequivocally was behind Daniel Dubois in that fight and obviously it didn't work out well for Dubois or Frank Warren there yeah. you know we did this thing of just coming out too strongly behind one fight and then you're left with the winner all of a sudden you, you can't really celebrate with him and you, you can't even bother trying to act as though this is some good <laughs> good thing for your company even when it's been a great win for somebody in your stable yeah. it must be awful for the fighter as well I mean yeah. Bivol must feel a bit sidelined yeah Let's try and end the discussion on this fight. I'm just on a couple of points. When we had a chat about this in the last episode, I, I was very um, vocal in my belief that I thought Triple G had a good chance against Canelo in a third fight. Mm. Does the outcome of this fight, if they do fight, let's say Canelo decides not to exercise the rematch clause and takes on Triple G in a third fight, does the outcome of this fight um, change your view on what might happen in, in, in the third fight between them? I don't think so, no, because I think that the fight will be at the low weight of 168, which I have discussed could cause problems, actually. But not really. GGG, for me, is still a lot further along in the tooth. 
I'm still uh, backing my prediction 100% that Triple G pulls out one last great victory and uh, shocks the world. So Stop, you're, stops Canelo. <laughs> you're, again, you'd be going against your doppelganger. Did you know he was your doppelganger, course, Canelo, by the way? You know, of course he is. I mean, he, so, he I mean I've f- never seen anyone who looks quite as much like you as that man. He fights mate. like me as well. Oh, though. really, mate? Yeah. I, thought, I thought, that's interesting, that one. Because I thought, at the beginning oh, of the fight, good. I always think he looks like you, but I obviously think that you look like a bit more of a, you know, older, more tired, not as in good shape oh, sort, of, sort of Canelo. <laughs> but then as the fight wore on, I thought, bloody hell. You're looking more and more like him. Oh, and then right. after the 12 rounds went off, I saw him at the end, I thought, fuck me. I mean, you could take a photo of this man, right? Stick a white background in the back. You could use a picture of Canelo in that 12th round as your next passport photo, mate. I think we need, I think we need to do, find a new partner for this show. <laughs> <laughs> but um, congratulations, Dimitri Bivol. What a performance. Absolutely brilliant and... I'm sure Joel concurs with me when we take our house too. So well done. Absolutely. Cannot wait to see more. Right, let's move on. Now we there's been so much going on in, in boxing um generally over the last few months. And one thing that we haven't spoken about, which we are gonna speak about now, is the Daniel Kinnahan fallout now mtk have ceased operations so there presumably there's going to be a large stable of fighters who now need to find other promotional outfits to to go to the u.s government has imposed heavy financial sanctions on anything or any company which is related to daniel kinnan which makes his ability to sort of function in boxing uh, much more difficult. The United Arab Emirates has uh, frozen his assets as well. So even though he's based in Dubai at the minute, I think there, you know, it looks like there's a chance that his ability to sort of roam free in the Middle East might be somewhat constricted. Don't really know the ins and outs. I'm not going to pretend I do. The US government also offered a five million dollar reward for any information I think leading to his arrest or conviction. Now. We discussed this briefly uh, last week and I remember at the time saying that I felt quite sorry for the fighters and uh, you can you, you can speak for yourself Joel but I felt that fighters generally wouldn't or shouldn't really care who was managing them they're there to fight and in many instances they you know they're there to make a living mm. So I guess my opinion here, Joe, is split, I think is the best way of putting it, right? So I think that there's a lot of fighters in the MTK outfit that, you know, absolutely, they're going to take an opportunity where they can get it. They don't have money. They've not got backing. They need to take that money and that backing where they can. They don't have options. But a bunch of the MTK fighters, and these are fighters, boxers, that came out very vocally and publicly in support of Daniel Kinnahan over the last couple of years, they do have options. They could sign with other promoters. They could sign with other managers, should I say, advisors. They don't need him. Can, just, just interject there. So I, I know a couple of examples. So Billy Joe Saunders would be one. He was extremely vocal in his on, on social media and his support for Daniel Kinnan. Tyson Fury is another one. I mean, he's plastered various bits on social. So those are two examples. And I don't think either of them need Daniel Kinnan Financially, no, they didn't need them to operate or to get or to help them in their deals. They have backing, they have other management, or they could do if they wanted to. Any promoter or manager in the world would have taken them on if they decided to at that at that point. Okay, so what we've got there is we've got fighters. Let's put this really. I'm going to put this quite bluntly, and I don't want to get too sort of judgmental yeah. about what people do for their livings or how they they earn their money. But what's happened here is that some very very wealthy successful people who as i say have options in life have decided to take this guy on who is one of the world's biggest international drug smugglers yeah they knew that at the time they knew what he was who he was now something that isn't really again i don't want to get too judgment but something that isn't really discussed too much is is the effect that someone like daniel kinnahan has on the world or and his crew has on the world 
this isn't victimless stuff here that goes on. Yeah. When you're dealing these quantity of drugs and you're flooding the market, and when we say market, we mean communities, yeah. and generally very poor communities with drugs, you're ruining lives, you're ruining families, you're ruining communities. And this is this is actually the reality of, yeah. of the Kinahan cartel and what they do. And so these fighters directly aligning themselves with these guys, it's not a good look, it's not right, and I particularly didn't like how they went after, some of these boxers went after some of the journalists in particular who were trying to get on top of the story. So on that... Um on the subject of journalists so Nicola Tallent wrote has written an excellent book on um, the Kinnan organised crime group and their um, feud with the the Hutch organised crime group now, you've just watched it uh, read it haven't you just read it and, and, and now now I've given you the book now reading that really helped shift my, my view in the sense that reading that you really get like you say uh, an inkling for the effect it has on the communities and what really stood out for me actually reading that book is after a while I, 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 I was just like how many people have, has he killed I mean mm. it's, just, and it's just so many people it's crazy I well, mean well, it's absolutely bonkers to, 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 to sort of understand um, the you know the, the impact that most psychopathic yeah. you know tendency towards shamelessly just murdering people how many Absolutely people nuts how many people died at that were killed at that press conference the boxing press conference do you know so this was the regency one in 2017 that's um, the one so um, one person was killed definitely mm. uh, yeah one, and I think I don't think anyone else was in but obviously that would have been horrific because there would have been just ordinary people at that press conference well it's how, so brazen how brazen was this when these, these gangsters just walked into the press conferences with gu- press conference with guns and just start shooting well the and it was live on Box Nation I think at the time the press conference and I think actually Daniel Kinnan was the the target of the of the, he was the one he who was. they wanted to, to get yeah now I, yeah, at the time I spoke to you, I said, oh, you know, these guys just fight us, blah, blah, blah. Why would they really care? But I think you're right, actually. I think, you know, I'm glad you've you've actually helped shift my position and and Nicola really has helped me shift my position. So thanks, Nicola. And also, where's that book available, Joel? Just have to get this in. In all good bookshops. Clash of the Clans, available in all good bookshops. Seriously, what a brilliant book. I'd really recommend it. And if you're interested in crime, I mean, just look, read it. It's fantastic. Can I say one thing, the effect that he's had on boxing, which I think we did discuss again last week and, and, yes. and we haven't picked up here, where we could say, well, it's, he's had a... Because people say that he's had... And a lot of these boxers are saying he's had a... What a great impact this man has on boxing. He loves boxing. Well, he killed the game in Ireland, actually. You know, it's his, his home country. Yeah. And after the Regency press conference shooting, yeah. there hasn't been another major card in Ireland since. Yeah. So we've had people like Katie Taylor, who is a huge export from the country. She's had to be an export now yeah. because she's never fought in Ireland because of this as a professional. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it has had a very detrimental effect to the actual fight game. Absolutely. No, I know you make a, a really good point, Joe. I think you're, he's, you met you, you, these were your exact words I think you mentioned when we discussed this at one point he, he's killed the game in Ireland yeah and um, I think a lot of these boxers who came out in support of him did so I think for very personal selfish reasons you know they're getting paid well and there's probably a line to toe to get paid well mm. but actually when you think of the bigger picture he hasn't he's been terrible for boxing particularly in Ireland you know, in terms of if, if Daniel Kinahan wasn't advising these guys and making these deals, somebody else would be. Yeah. It's not as though none of this could have happened without Daniel Kinahan. These guys couldn't afford, they couldn't, do you know what I mean? It's... What What was really funny though in the fallout, we have to, because this is just about the absurdity of boxing, was were how many boxers all of a sudden just were like, <laughs> oh no, I have nothing to do with <laughs> Daniel Kinahan. <laughs> Never seen him, never met him. Well, actually, I'm like, just that's his business. Even Tyson Fury, you know, when Bob Arum said, "Oh yeah, I've paid Daniel Kinnan on four occasions one million dollars for advisory services," and Tyson Fury said, "I don't, I don't know what Bob does with his money. I don't care. It's up to him." Brilliant. <laughs> so Absolutely funny. fantastic. Um, no, it's this spate of 
press releases and all that from companies, individuals, everyone going, including uh, the I Like Boxing podcast with Joe and Joel. I've got yes, we did yeah, release we did our, own, our own little statement saying that we have <laughs> just making clear that we have nothing to do with Daniel Kinahan or his ilk. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's not where the funding for this podcast has come from. Yeah. You know, I- all of the barrels of money being shoved into this little uh, adventure of ours yeah for those who are listening and enjoy us please feel free to, to sh- you know send loads of cash our way barrel loads I would take bank transfers as well yeah just I'll, get in touch we'll hand over the details yeah we'll give you our personal bank details yeah no problem now that the the circle is closing in on Daniel Kinnan and there was talk about this after the you know fantastic Amanda Serrano Katie Taylor fight in Madison Square Garden can she finally have that fight in Ireland yes and I want to see her fight a Cuban boxer (laughs) not that I think there's many female female Cubans about (laughs) boxing but anyway this is all possible now yeah and what a fight that would be if Katie Taylor takes on Amanda Serrano at Croke Park I mean the atmosphere there would be incredible It's, it's opened up a world of possibilities yeah, so the Kinahan situation is obviously evolving, but it's, um, you know, like I say, the, the government, the American government have come out. It looks like they're really going to try and get in. Now, there was some other big news, and I remember you telling me at the, the time that you thought this was probably not as big as the Kinahan stuff, but really, you know, this has sort of gone under the radar a little bit. Cuban professionals, Joe, I'm just going to let you go here because this is a big, a big thing for you. So, the Cuban Boxing Federation have announced what I would say is no understatement to describe as a landmark deal with the Mexican outfit Golden Ring Promotions to allow Cuban professional boxing. Yeah. So Cuban haven't been, Cubans haven't been able to box professionally since 1962 after Fidel Castro banned the professional outfit or the right. professional game. It seems that the boxers will still need to be involved in their Olympic programme in yeah. order to participate. And the first, But they will be able to fight professional American, British, Irish, whatever fighters. Yeah. Like, this is amazing. This allows Cuban gold medalists such as Julio Cesar La Cruz, Arian Lopez, Ronio Inglésias, and Andy Cruz to fight. I don't think our listeners heard those names. Can you just repeat them again? Julio Cesar La Cruz, Alan Lopez, Ronnie Langlesias, and Andy Cruz. Well done, Joe. Okay, so do you know who got these guys are, Joe? I don't actually. They are four of the eight available gold medalists from the 2020 Tokyo Games. Wow. Like, people think that Cuban star is on the wane in, in amateur boxing or Olympic-style boxing, I think we're men, men, meant to call it these days. Yeah. It's not. They won four of the eight available golds at the last Olympics. This is huge news. We've had for the last... You know, since 62, we haven't had the elite group of boxers in world boxing fighting professionally yeah you know they've been consistently the best in the amateur game yeah and it's been stuck they've been stuck in the amateur game this is huge so anyway the first card is going to take place in mexico and is going to be broadcast on the spn and i'm going to be looking forward to it i don't know how this is going to look in the end because as i say these fighters still have to be involved in the cuban amateur system yeah and we don't know they've signed to this Mexican outfit this Golden Ring promotion so a Mexican outfit so we don't know where this is going to go but it's really exciting and the possibilities are pretty endless here yeah it'll be interesting to see what, what actually happens and whether we do start to see some Cuban professionals in the game who go on to be major major players so on to another piece of news now Lauren Price and Katie Artingstall I know you're very high on Lauren Price and what a fantastic boxer she is gold medalist from the 2020 Olympics. Now, you can go into a bit more detail on this job, but from what I understand, they've obviously both just gone pro and they've signed with Ben Shalom at Boxer, but they are still going to be involved with the Team GB setup. Mm. As I think, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, two of only three professionals to continue their training with the potentially with essentially the amateur squad. Yeah, so what they've done is they've turned professional, as you say, but they will still aim to box at the next Olympics, so at the 2024 
Paris Games, is it? I think it's in Paris. Is that correct? Because I, I read the article in, in Boxing News and I wasn't entirely sure because I got the gist from that article that the potential for any professionals to fight at the Olympics would, would be based on whether there were essentially whether there were any amateurs who weren't you know whether the the talent pool of amateurs within a certain weight classes wasn't suitably good enough i could be wrong though joel to be fair but i didn't get anything from that that suggested there were definitely i mean i'm sure she does want to that'll be the aim that'll be the aim look there is no way that they would be announcing this or she'll be staying in that setup if she is not going to be fine at the next olympics or at least attempting to qualify for the next Mm. olympics that's what that's what it is i mean you've got to keep um the other girls hungry yeah but that's what they're going to be doing they're going to be fine at the next olympic i don't know about karis arting school lauren price will be fighting and I mean, I don't really know how I feel about it because I prefer my amateurs to be amateurs. Yeah. You know, and I do think it's standing in the way of other talent. And, you know, what would Lauren Price have done? She wouldn't be the star she is if she if, if she had someone blocking her way uh, and not being able to, to fight in the last Olympics. So, yeah, I'm not really that keen on the whole thing, to be honest, but it is what it is. And it is exciting, and it has meant at least that Lauren Price has turned professional because I think that her priority actually was to box in the next Olympics. That's interesting, actually. I think you might be right on that. That probably mm. was her um, priority. It will be interesting to see what happens because I, I think the Boxing News article very much made it clear that it's there's also still an experimental stage. You're going to see how it goes. It there's only com- three professionals. It's not yeah. like they've opened the floodgates to professionals. No, but this is how it, this is how everything starts, isn't it? It's yeah. a little it's a little door squeaking open before it really smashes open. On the subject of your point, I'm also not in favour of professionals fighting at the at the Olympics. I just I just think it the the Olympics is for amateurs and seeing young you know mainly young good amateurs coming through who you might say yeah that's that's someone who can be the next big star in the pro game not someone who's already not necessarily a big star but someone who's known in the pro game Mm. just takes a bit of a shine off it for me personally I think so I think so interesting we don't even know if the next Olympic Games are going to feature boxing as it stands the 2028 Olympics boxing isn't even on the schedule it's not on the agenda because the IBA which is the amateur boxing governing body essentially has been so corrupt down the years that the IOC has been refusing to work with them yeah and so they're sort of on probation at the moment. They're back in the game, but they've been warned recently that unless they get their act together, that they're not going to be included in the 2024 games, let alone 2028. Wow. So we've got to see how this goes. I mean, the, the amateur system is in a real mess at the moment. The last Olympics actually didn't feature ABA... IBA, IBA, it used to be IBA, so I've, I've forgotten the thing, but it used to be the IBA judges because they were so corrupt in the previous Olympics. I mean, anyone had to just watch the 2016 games in Rio and see how that was judged, and it was appalling. I mean, yeah. it was clearly corrupt throughout, yeah. and the difference between the judging in 2016 and 2020 was just night and day. Yeah. It was fantastic in 2020, just being able to watch, and you watch a fight and go, yeah, it's going to be the, the correct result at the end, and it invariably was as only one or two decisions the old thing that I disagreed with I mean just look at Joe Joyce's run or should we say Tony Yoka's run to that goal <laughs> my lord I mean <sighs> who did he fight Jalilov was it in the semi and then Joyce in the final no, was he, it winning both in the semi. Hergovic sorry Hergovic, it was Hergovic yeah. in the semi I mean Hergovic just beat the crap out of him somehow you know he wins yeah. Yoka wins and he gets to the final I mean Joe Joyce just steamrolled him yeah. and how and obviously didn't get the decision how different would Joe Joyce's career be now if he'd won that gold medal I, I mean know. look at what Anthony Joshua did oh yeah you know 100% I mean Joe Joyce would he have been sort of Would he, he's still this weirdly for me criminally underrated fighter I mean could you imagine if he just won that gold medal all it is is the decision going the other way the fight took place he clearly beat Tony Yoka 
So the skill level is there, but because how we perceive these things, could you possibly imagine an Olympic gold medalist going in with Daniel Dubois as a significant underdog when Dubois had no amateur career and was about, what, 12, 13 fights in? Come on. Frank Warren might have sided with Joe Joyce yeah. at that point. That's uh, <laughs> Fra- Frank <laughs> <Warren>. gold medalist. <laughs> Frank Warren wouldn't have had Joe Joyce, mate, yeah. but anyway. <laughs> good point, Joel, good point. So that, that was interesting. Um, one thing to finish off on, and I'll ask you a question about this. Kel Brooks retired, and I have to say, it's the right decision, really. I, I probably would have been up for seeing him fight someone like Conor Ben, but really he's got nothing to gain from it. He's retired at the right time. Fair play to him. I think it's the right decision. Joel, do you agree? Oh, 100% agree. He's had such a good career. It's the perfect time for him to retire on, on a high like that after beating Amir. Yeah. Yeah, it's just brilliant sometimes I mean boxing rarely gives us these moments where you can all just unanimously go yeah I agree with that and what a lovely moment this is this is one of them the guy had just an outstanding career he had nothing left to do in the sport I loved his I saw an interview with I think it was Dave Coldwell and he said that he discussed the decision with Kel Brook and Coldwell said maybe it wasn't Coldwell anyway somebody in the sport who was close to him said discussed with him the only place for him to go was Conor Ben but he didn't want to fight Conor Ben because he thought the fight was too easy for him (laughs) and I just love it how people say this stuff with a straight face because it's that it's the it's the legendary boxing thing of a fight it's getting out of a fight just going oh no I'm not going to fight him he's too easy for me yeah exactly I'm levels above what's the point before going on and fighting a journeyman or something it's just I love it I love boxing so much sometimes anyway I don't mean to take the mick it was just it's a great decision and and, you know what career what was your what was your favourite Kilbrook moment yeah no I'm I'm glad you asked I was about to ask you the same question my favourite Kell Brook moment funnily enough I, I think his I remember watching his fight against Triple G and so many things stood out about that for example the the goal almost the courage to go up in weight classes to take on a prime Triple G I mean mm. really in retrospect it was crazy but he dared to be great and that was a brilliant fight and Kell Brook had his moments in that fight I mean there Poor was a boy, did second or third round I have thought for a second oh my god is he going to win this fight I mean he he hit Triple G with a three few punch. uppercuts yeah. and a few straight yeah, but that three really punch combo finishing with the uppercut it was 100%. that oh my well I watched that fight with you actually oh, and we what, did didn't we and yeah, what really yeah. stood out for me in that fight was that he didn't get knocked down he didn't get knocked down and even when his corner threw the towel and I already saw him standing against the ropes I think he was motioning Triple G to keep going cool, you yeah. know how, what, what a warrior what a warrior a great fighter and you know he only lost to the best Triple G all time great one of the best of his era well, Errol, that- Errol Spence for me the Triple G night though and, and Errol Spence these are examples of a fighter daring to be great and not many do it yeah you know not many have the opportunity to do it you know and he just took it and he, he went for it and it was at a time where other fighters were essentially ducking GGG all over the place this is when he was in his absolute prime this was like we forget what it was like this was like a middleweight Mike Tyson back then yeah. he was destroying everyone yeah. and Kell Brook just jumped two weight classes to fight the guy I mean it seems insane looking back I know it is absolutely insane but that's my favourite moment but um, what about you so I'll go back a little bit further back to 2012 when he fought Matthew Hatton and the reason being is that because this was seen as a really competitive fight and it was what was it for was it for I don't think it was for any sort it wasn't for a British title or anything like that but it went on it was at the Sheffield Arena and going in to say it was seen as competitive and he went in and he announced himself as a star that night he completely outboxed Tatton for 12 rounds but he did it in that way that you just go that's a special talent there yeah you know and you just knew when he when he come through at that age because he was a young man still just go oh, brilliant we've got this now for the next 10 years and so it proved yeah yeah you know it was just brilliant and he gave us so many good nights and it was a bit of an odd he, 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 <laughs> he holds a bit of an odd place in boxing very few fighters get this where they're big pay-per-view level fighters but they're not quite big enough for a long time to quite carry the pay-per-view which forces a promoter to put on a fantastic undercard and so we had so many fights with Kell Brook that he went in there and he just had these like crazy undercards I remember the Frankie Gavin fight 
and looking at that, I mean, you just don't get undercards like that these days. You really don't. It Who's was on the undercard for that one? So that one, we had John Ryder against Nick Blackwell. Right. Which was a quality fight, obviously. Jorge Linares against Kevin Mitchell. Oh, God, what we had a fight Gra- Granovich against Lee Selby. I mean, that was a brilliant performance by, um, by uh, Selby that night. And I remember even had uh, Dave Ryan against John Wayne Hibbert, which was for, I think it was Commonwealth title, it might have been. And it was just this war Scott Cardle Craig Evans war everything on that card you had Anthony Joshua against Kevin Johnson oh, where yeah. <laughs> Anthony Joshua where he, when he was coming up and that, that was one no one had ever done that to Kevin Johnson they just obliterated him in like two rounds I think it was and yeah. no one's done it to Kevin Johnson since yeah. and this was the thing I remember because that fight I think that was on that pay-per-view that fight was on the same day Arsenal won one of the FA Cups oh, okay. I think maybe against Hull Oh, really? It's it a good day. Yeah, it was around. a great day. I remember getting home watching that, but there was several of them anyway that were like, you know, you just put on these monster cards, and those were the days, man. It was brilliant, and so thank you, Kel. Yeah, uh, on behalf of I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel, we, we take our hat off to you, Kel. What a career, what a man, and uh, enjoy your retirement. Right, Joel, let's preview a couple of the fights this weekend. We have a big unification rematch. Castano versus Charlo at light middleweight. Well, can I just kick you off really by saying something really quickly? Go on then. Cannot wait for this. Right, carry on, <laughs> carry on Joe. Cheers, Joel. We've discussed this and we disagree on the likely outcome of this one. I personally just can't see any way that this fight doesn't pan out exactly the way it did in the first fight. Now, I think Castano was completely robbed in that fight. I probably gave Charlo four rounds maximum, if that. Don't get me wrong, I think that Charlo carries the power, and in their first fight, I think that Castano was definitely seriously hurt in the 10th round, and stunned in the second and possibly the eleventh as well. Mind you, Charlo was definitely hurt in well, the third round. Yeah, too. there's there's no possible about the eleventh. I mean, Castano came out and he said he was hurt badly in the tenth and eleventh rounds. Oh right, okay, fine. Yeah. Having said that, I think the better boxer is Castano. Really? I do. Yeah, I really okay. do. I I didn't see anything of Charlo in that fight and in in the previous fights. To be honest with you, I mean, he's he's explosive. He you know, he has a good one too. He can throw some hooks. I think Castano's the, the better all-round fighter. Castano, for the smaller man, still has a good jab. He he's, he really is a good inside fighter. And I just, I just don't think Charlo has his number. I really don't. I don't think we're going to see a better Charlo in this fight. Oh, see, I think that the see that that's where a really, really different opinion from you here. I don't think Castano can improve from the first fight. You would argue that he doesn't have to. No. I I would argue that he didn't win the fight, so of course he has to. Right, this fight is still f- taking place in the US. He was hurt several times in that first fight. I think that. Castano had fantastic success when he backed Charlo up yes. onto the ropes. Yes. That's the key for this fight. Yeah. Can Castano back Charlo off up into the ropes again? Because every time Charlo got anywhere near the ropes, Castano would unload and he would be successful. But Charlo had a good amount of success off of the ropes as well. It's not as though he was all one way mm. when Charlo was backed up. But but when they were fighting centre ring you know Jamel did have the success and Jamel's got the style that generally over two or three fights is going to win out when compared to a sort of come forward pressure fighter like Castano I thought Castano fought brilliantly in the first fight I don't think Charlo did I think Charlo has more room for improvement he's bigger and stronger than Castano as well Charlo's got a very good record in rematches um, he thought he lost his only career defeat was against Tony Harrison yep. he then came out and you know it was a tough fight for a few rounds and he took over imposed himself on Harrison and he won by a vicious KO in that I thought it was a fantastic performance because remember as well that Tony Harrison was coming off of a really good run he'd just beaten Jason Rosario who had himself coming off a great win against the sort of really underrated but inconsistent Julian Williams both of them were by KO I think it's a fantastic fight but I would say that I think Charlo for me is more likely to do something different and 
somebody has to do something different because the first fight was a draw. I think another big thing that came out of the first fight for me was that I can't believe, mate, that Brian is an Argentinian name. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I didn't even... I mean, what on earth is going on here? Attention to this. Like, <laughs> what are we going to get next? Like, I don't know, Peter <laughs> Castiella. Like, what's going on here, mate? Like, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Dave. I wonder what his brother's called. <laughs> I I looked into the just always interested in the amateur pedigree and Castano has a really good amateur pedigree. You know he beat Errol Spence in the amateurs. I didn't know that. No. Now that for me, because wow. I'm a massive a fight. I'm a massive Errol Spence fan, and I, I preached this a lot in last week's episode as well. Focus. So I mean, don't don't get me wrong. It's the amateurs a long time ago, but Castano's got something about him. I I think he's a I think he's a really good boxer. I think he's got Charlo's number. Unless Char- and one thing that I, I see with Charlo that I see in a, in a lot of his fights is I just don't think his work rate's intense enough in a lot of his fights. I agree. He can be lazy. I think he can react badly when hurt sometimes. And when he gets hit sometimes, he's, he does that sort of thing that Wilder does where he just sort of freezes a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes he, he, do, he doesn't react too well. He's got a huge deficiency in his game. Mm. I don't know if you've noticed this, but he doesn't faint. I haven't noticed it to, to be fair it's a really it's odd interesting one interesting you mentioned that it's very strange uh, he, he doesn't you watch it he, he doesn't and, I, and I'm bringing up negatives of his game here is he too lazy to faint well maybe <laughs> but is it <laughs> I faint when I get very lazy and I make myself <laughs> <laughs> but no I don't know look man I don't, I don't I don't know what the um, I don't know what's going on here but again if he throws a few faints that's a vast improvement on the first fight so I just see this as as being another close fight, a possibly close fight. But actually, I've, the more I think about it, the more I am quite strong in my belief that Charlo wins this fight. Okay. And you know what I mean when I say I feel quite strong. Yeah, put some money on it, Joel. <laughs> I think it's going to be well. It's going to be a close fight. That's for it's sure. a wicked fight. It's the number one and number two at the way. It's a it's a rematch of an Ursi per fight. This is this is what we like to see. And do you know what also stood out for me? I mean, this neither of them have fought since their match, which was in July. I think it was July last year. So they've had a long layoff. So that doesn't surprise me with Castorno because Castorno has been professional since 2012. Right, he's only fought 19 times. Wow. I mean, it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? Because, it is, uh, yeah. But Ch- Charlo's been professional for significantly longer as well since 2007. I can't believe he's been professional since then. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? Time just flies, mate. But This is going to be a really interesting one to discuss on next week's episode because whoever gets their prediction right is going to be gloating. I can't massively. have, I can't <laughs> have three, get three in a row, mate. As soon as we've got a mic in front of our faces, boy, the, the table's turn. Next fight we're going to preview is uh, Tony Yoka against Martin Bacoli. Um, I'm going to kick this one off. I think Tony, uh, well, it's, it's, he's fighting in Paris. He's Unless Martin Bacoli can pull out something spectacular, he ain't going to win this fight. I don't think Tony Yoka is a particular for someone who's won an Olympic gold medalist don't think he's a particularly great heavyweight he's quite basic isn't he very basic and as you alluded to earlier I mean he was Joe Joyce was robbed against him in that uh, Olympic final Joe Joyce completely steamrolled him and should have got the gold medal but Tony Yoka did somehow so uh, Joe what do you think I mean do you... Joe Joyce, Tony Yoka. Tony Yoka wins that fight, doesn't he? That apparently the gold medal fight. Yeah. Look at their careers since. I know. It's Absolutely been an odd one, isn't it? What do you think's um, sort of delayed Tony Yoka? What do you think? Have you got any ideas on, on what sort of stunted his growth as a professional? Wasn't he banned for one year for taking performance enhancing drugs? So he was, Joe. Ah, yeah. That, so you he knew was. the answer already. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this guy's a drugs cheat. He's an out and out drugs cheat, yeah? And I haven't got too much time for that, as you know. Um, and I would love Bacoli to do him here. Yeah. Because, you know... Me too. Yeah, he, he deserves to lose. I don't really want Tony Yoka. It sounds awful, but I don't really want him. He's 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 benefited from you know clear corruption for me at the 2016 games. Yeah. And then he's failed his drugs. Obviously, he comes 
comes off with up with these sort of excuses which actually by the way while i'm talking about excuses for drug tests and failing drugs tests in general i'm just going to actually pivot back yourselves, here. listeners <laughs> well you know you've you know canelo losing at the weekend oh yeah yeah, yeah. who's he <laughs> your doppelganger mate <laughs> the bloke on your passport right <laughs> now i can't help but think back to oscar valdez's not lost last week, but his failed test about a year ago. Oh, yeah. Right, and he came up with one of these excuses that I think the WBC sort of let him get away with and all of this, and he didn't really serve a ban. But since then, his performances have taken a marked downturn. I mean, he struggled in his bout after the test. Yeah. And then he obviously lost last weekend. I mean, look, there's no shame getting getting beat in, in the way he did against Errol Spence. Errol Spence was superb and what I will say is that I, I thought that actually Errol Spence didn't beat Oscar Valdez what was his name again? Joel. Shakur Stevenson shut yourself out there <laughs> uh, the drugs I've been on, my, the drugs I've been on certainly ain't performance enhancing mate yeah. <laughs> performance dehancing <laughs> so anyway you know, uh, the Renaissance gym has had a lot of rumours going on about it, and obviously Canelo's failed drugs tests in the past, yeah. and there's going to be a lot of heat on them at the moment. I imagine the testers are visiting quite regularly. Yes, yes. Um, all I'm going to say is then Valdez has lost a week later. This this is an undefeated gym for a long time. A week, uh, week later, then, you know, Canelo has lost. No, you know the reason why Canelo lost that fight, actually? Oh god, yeah. it's because he was on a vegan diet. Did you read about that? He's on a vegan diet. Yeah. So he's got to do something to replace the. Um... <laughs> I thought he was on a beef diet before. I thought that was his problem. When it, when it, when it, the beef. He was on the beef, yeah. beef only diet, and now he's on the vegan diet. He's messing messing with his diet too much, mate. Do you remember? Oh, it was so funny. Do you remember with the Billy Joe Saunders fight when they were squaring up at one of the. You loved the beef, didn't you? You loved the beef. The Mexican beef. The Mexican beef. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me wrong, like, I I always feel guilty saying this. I mean, Billy Joe Saunders is a bit of a wrong one, but sometimes it can be funny. Funny (laughs) fellow, isn't he? He But he has done some pretty horrific stuff as well you know I'm not gonna but yeah a bit like Tyson Fury and to be fair I love Tyson Fury so maybe I'm the wrong in here Joe who knows a bit like all of us to be yeah. fair probably isn't it yeah. um, back to Tony Yoka Martin Bacoli look I just oh I forgot we were previewing a fight sorry yeah. about that listeners no I think Tony Yoka wins because I think he's just mm. got better ability marginally and he and he's a bit he's a big heavyweight I mean Martin Bacoli's a big heavyweight too they're not actually uh, Tony Yoka I think is a better well he, he certainly looks like he's a better conditioned fighter but I think Tony Yoka also suffers from being too muscly as well mm. he's got the same sort of build as Anthony Joshua for me and that maybe is why I've always found watching him quite a bit restrictive when you struggle in a war of attrition you can always struggle whether Bacoli's good enough to push him into that war of attrition I'm not sure I, I see this as a bit of a you know early doors I see Bacoli actually having a bit of success here but I think that Yoko will probably wear him down by mid rounds or something like that but I don't know yeah. I haven't got a few, you know, I haven't done much on, on this fight well, we wish Bacoli the best of luck. I mean, it'd be great Absolutely. to see him, see him win, but I think he's going to have to get the stoppage or the knockout, and I just uh, do not see that happening at all. So that's that's it, listeners, for this week's episode of I Like Boxing with Joe and Joel. We hope you've enjoyed it. We certainly um, have. We have indeed, and we shall see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>